Welcome to Activist NYC, the podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Trin. It is May, and we are celebrating Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And so for my guest today for to celebrate AAPI Heritage Month, I have Serena Sereskal, who has been serving New York City as a firefighter since 2005. Born to Thai immigrants and a proud resident of Jackson Heights, Queens, Sarasikal is the first Asian woman firefighter in the FDNY. In 2019, she was promoted to the rank of lieutenant, making her the first Asian woman fire officer in the FDNY. Serena also founded Angry Asian Women X as a response to the rise in anti-Asian racism and misogyny in New York City. Angry Asian Women X have provided thousands of free self-defense kits to API women, API femmes, and gender-expansive APIs. The organization also organizes around safety, justice, healing, and the intersection of Asian Pacific Islander interests and feminism. Welcome, Serena, to the podcast. Happy Hour Month! Happy AAPI Heritage Month. It is our month. Um, Have you been celebrated every single day this month? Oh, God. I, I mean, you know, it, it's whenever this month comes around, I get the busiest I've ever been. And I'm always like, you know, I am Asian all year round. Right? <laughs> we are Asian all year round. You can hire us like when it's not May. Yeah, you can hire us year round, but yeah. you should pay us more in May. Yes, exactly. That's very true. Definitely want to get paid more in May. Yeah, yes. API tax for May. <laughs> Let's start it. For the labor, all our labor that we have to do this month. Yeah, although if we do free labor, the tax would be $0. So. <laughs> true. That's very true. Yes. But thank you so much for being here and making time in this very busy month. Um, I'm so happy to have you. You've done so much work for the community the last few years, but we're going to get into all that. Um, I just want to start with, you know, just introducing yourself to the audience, um, letting people know, like, what, where did you grow up? Like, how was your cultural upbringing? Um, what, you know, brought you into the world of firefighting? Like, yeah. just so badass. So, yeah, introduce yourself and um, maybe give a little context to your family background as well. Sure. If you can. Yeah. So my parents actually met here in New York. Uh, they're both Thai immigrants. And through the Thai Association, there's like a Thai American Association, and they do a lot of events. They organize around uh, like temple events usually. So that's how my parents met. And uh, they settled in Mount Vernon, New York, which is just north of the Bronx. My mom was a nurse in Montefiore Hospital, as my many of my uh, friends, Thai friends growing up, most of our moms were nurses because there's a nursing shortage in the 70s so um that's how they met my my dad um overstayed his visa <laughs> his tourist visa here and was a documented immigrant he actually worked doing very typical immigrant work he worked um in thai kitchens he worked at the chock full of nuts factory he drove a t he drove a taxi cab 
He ultimately got a gig working at an Asian shipping company where he worked for a very long time, most of my childhood. And um, yeah, so like I grew up in this really, you know, Mount Vernon is a doesn't have very many Asian people, but there's like a Thai temple there. So um, on the weekends, my weekends were full of like Thai culture, Thai school, Thai friends. But my Monday through Friday in Mount Vernon, it was probably one other Asian family in the school or two other Asian families in the school I went to. So it was very like weird. But um, I went to college in New York City and that's how I moved here. Uh, in 1998, uh, I went to the Parsons School of Design. <laughs> I went to art school. I dropped out because I became radicalized. Um, I, I never went, knew you went to art school. Yeah, I like never <laughs> talk about it because it, it doesn't really like deal with my life today. But like you know, I do a lot of the graphic design for angry Asian women. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to art school, and um, this was during a time of uh, a lot of police brutality because Giuliani was mayor of New York City and Amadou Diallo, uh, he was an African immigrant who was showing his uh, ID to police who stopped him. He was shot 41 times. That's what politicized me. I went to a protest when the verdict came out, not guilty for all the cops. It was one of the biggest protests I've been to in New York City. And I was like 19 years old at the time. And a cop, I was in the way of a cop and he arrested me. I got, this was during the time of Giuliani time, we called it back then. I got processed overnight in the tombs, like not far from here. And after that, I was just like, all right, I'm going to, you know, it, it politicized me, it radicalized me. I saw a lot of the injustices um, of the city. I was incarcerated, well, I, I was imprisoned with women who were victims of domestic violence. Uh, where they arrested both parties with women who were smoking a freaking joint on their stoop and they got arrested. And I went to art school, so people were doing drugs at school in the hallway. So I'm like, you know, these like poor, like, you know, people of color who don't have the resources to smoke a blunt and, you know, thank God it's like decriminalized now. But like, you know, I saw so much that was just wrong and I just couldn't like continue going to art school. I dropped out. I became community organizer. And 9-11 um, happened. That's not what like made me be a firefighter. But I felt helpless because my background, I like, you know, people were doing stuff and like helping in the pile and doing all the like EMS volunteers and this and that. And I was like, oh, I don't really have any of those skills. Now, like a year later after 9-11, the fire department was hiring because 343 people died that day from the fire department and uh, a lot of people got injured. So they got like decimated. So the following year they were hiring. I wasn't even thinking about it, but a friend of mine took me to an orientation that they had. And that was the first time I just even thought about it as a career because you just see like white guys doing it. And it's just so foreign when you don't have any friends or family doing like working in any industry. It's just you just don't think about it. So I went to this orientation. It's the first time I saw women firefighters. And really, it was like one woman who was like five foot two and she just graduated fire academy. And I was like, 
if she can do this, I can do this too. And I saw a bunch of other women there and they looked no different than me. They weren't like bodybuilders. They weren't like this unattainable like size or, you know, anything. I was like, those regular ass women. So I was like, if they could do it, I can do it. And then I just, you know, I was so taken by, they like showed like a video of like firefighters going to fires and helping people. And I was so taken by that. And I really just wanted a job where I was helping people and, um, you know, community organizing a lot of the, the grants that were paying me just went out the window after 9-11. It's like a lot of funding. There was just no financial security after 9-11. And so that was also a mean like driving factor. Like, oh, if I work civil service, even though like, you know, all these people died that day, like, you know, it's just, you know, I don't know. I just thought of it as like, I minimalized the risks and I just thought about, listen, I don't have a college degree. This is a great paying career. I can retire. I can have benefits. And I'm really glad I made that decision because it's been 18 years so far. I can retire in two years and I'm in my 40s. So it's like I don't have to like hustle. Um, I don't have to like we had the pandemic and, you know, I didn't have to worry about like I can like my job security during I worked throughout the pandemic. You know, in LP, I understand that, like, at a high risk, like, situation, but, um, you know, it, it, it was uh, worth it for me, you know, that choice. Yeah. I mean, that a lot of that's why a lot of people want to work for the government or for the city, right? Because it's, it does provide that financial stability. And as someone on the other end yeah. who, so, like, your story is like such a flip of my personal story because, you know, I I had foregone like my my pursuits as an artist, as a creative when I was younger because I never thought that it could be a career for me. And, you know, pressures of Asian family, Asian mother who was not supportive of me, like wanting to go into the arts. So I actually went to law school and I became a lawyer. I didn't know that about yeah, you. I didn't know that about you. <laughs> podcast interview <laughs> we've known each other for years and we're just learning new things about each other right now um, reveal yourself yes. <laughs> former law student former art student <laughs> yes i went i went to law school became a lawyer what and yeah passed a bar and everything you know wow. I'm, I'm a bar attorney but i didn't do it for very long um i graduated during the recession it was like 2011 and you know it was i mean occupy wall street was happening like our economy was tanked because of the bankers who literally like messed up our economy and so i was really like depressed and I didn't know what to do with my life and I ended up like just started volunteering with Occupy and the message really um, resonated with me you know as someone who was told my whole life like if you just work hard you study you put your head down you know this is what a lot of Asian femmes are told right like 100%. as long as you just do the work you're gonna succeed and then here I was I did the work first in my family to go to a you know graduate school and let alone like get a like a JD, right? And so like here I am like went through all these years of school went through all this and 
I was still unemployed, broke, and now $150,000 in debt. (laughs) And I was like, okay, this is not working out for me. Like, this is is not working out. And it took me a while to, you know, like, try get back on my feet. Like, for for several years, I was completely broke, making minimum wage, applying for hundreds and hundreds of jobs and never hearing back you know it was just so depressing that was my experience before the fire department when i was unemployed after community organizing and post 9-11 world it was impossible yes to get work yeah and like you know what you're saying about like how our expectations from our families happiness is never one of those expectations yeah (laughs) right they just think about money and finance and like stability financial stability which is aka money right but that's just because of the trauma of what our parents had gone through right Mm -hmm. like my my parents going through the trauma of war and that just like the intergenerational trauma passing down to me and you know like our like the whole immigrant family mentality as well just like there's a lot of trauma there and so it makes sense to me why my our parents want us to have that financial stable job because you know they never had that and yeah, so my parents came from poverty my, my dad, parents came from poverty yeah yeah my dad didn't see electricity until he was like a teenager wow. like yeah it's just um one of those things where it's like well they didn't have money money equals happiness right. came, they came to america to like you know make money yeah Yeah. yeah. so yeah that was so my story was basically long like you know long story short is that i quit law and you know that's when i started activist nyc was um i just started taking pictures i just wanted to do something to channel that creative energy that i had and and just get me out of this like extreme depression and i started activist nyc i started like taking pictures of protests like i started you know i was going to a lot of protests um since occupy and i it really inspired me to start taking pictures and do what i love again it was like oh what was the last thing i did where i was really happy and i enjoyed it it was photography because i was doing photography back in college but you know you did it as a hobby you never thought it would be like a a career for you i still didn't think it would be a career for me when i started activist nyc it was just a a passion project that i wanted to just do because i felt so strongly and it it made me feel a lot um of like the lot of similarities between us when you were talking about like when you were inspired to you know really start your activism because you got to really see how bad it was on the inside right like you when you were in like jail and you saw like how horrible that like people were being treated especially poor people of color and so you know i got really inspired also to start my activism during occupy wall street and then when michael brown was killed and the ferguson riots really erupted um you know the whole country was protesting and i was out in the streets in new york like almost every day it feels like and so that's when activist nyc was really born um and then i was like oh this is what i really want to do with my life you know like this is this is what my calling really is and so photography has not only been like 
such a, a healing, you know, thing for me and also such a like a way for me to express my passion and my, you know, my strengths. And that's how I contribute to the movement is through my art and through my photography. And so I I was like, that this is it. This is this is what I want to do. And I like quit law and I've just been pursuing for, for you know, as you know, I've been pursuing photography ever since. And yeah, it's just I, 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 I'm on the other side of things now where I'm a freelancer and I'm constantly hustling and it's hard. Yeah. And I'm tired and you know, I'm about to be forty this year. And Ooh. so, you know, I'm 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 hitting I'm hitting uh I'm hitting an age where like I'm getting tired, you know. Yeah. But um but I do love this work so much more than than anything that I did. And in an office in law, like I just never felt inspired doing anything in law and with photography now and with all my other projects, like even this podcast, like this podcast is really just for us to like just say what's on our minds. I don't even care if like if like, um, you know, I don't care if like hundreds and hundreds of people don't listen to it. Like, that's not a big deal for me. I just want someone to be able to hear it and feel like, oh, my God, like this, like I resonate with this, you know, or like whatever we talk about. Like it's never anything I've ever done has never been about like, um being an influencer or like you know or like having like a big big following like i don't believe in that and i and i hate that social media has has created this you know this environment for us that where we feel like that pressure that like we need to like have like hundreds of thousands of followers or something in order to feel like you're doing making a difference i don't believe in that i believe that you can make a difference within even if it's just within your small group, you know, with even if it's within your friend group, right? And and so it's really just like a way for us to share our opinions and our voices and and so for me it's always been about, you know, doing stuff that reaches the community and and that's why, yeah, that's why I I bust my ass, but like, and I'm tired, but you know, like I care about this work, and and it's it's I've always done it just because of my passion for it, not for money, not for fame or anything like that, right? Um, but I I understand the appeal of that financial <laughs> stability. I do sometimes. Sometimes I switch back and forth from being like, oh, I I love my freelancer life, and then other days I'm like, oh. Oh God, I just wish I had like a stable paycheck. So I'm not like, you know, like stressed about money. But I think, I think at least for now, like what, what I, the life that I've created for myself at the moment, I do love. I, I, I love the hustle sometimes. I, I love just like being able to have that flexibility and freedom to to kind of do what i want right so but i i commend you i mean i'm so stoked that you're gonna be able to retire soon because i <laughs> i want that for everyone <laughs> i want yeah. i want everyone to be able to retire soon you know um but uh, so right now um in your work as as in the fdny as a lieutenant what are your what are your responsibilities nowadays so um uh firehouse is um a bunch of firefighters three lieutenants and one captain 
So the three lieutenants and one captain, they're first line supervisors. So if you look at a rig, a fire truck or a fire engine, you the person who's driving is a chauffeur and the person next to them is the officer. So that would be me. Mm. So it's supervising firefighters, uh, doing the paperwork for, you know, us getting paid for, you know, any runs that we go to, any associated, like, you know, administrative tasks for a firehouse. That's uh, what a lieutenant or a captain does. Okay, cool. Yeah, so um, I worked 14 years in East Village as a firefighter, which I loved. It was crazy, um, you know, ran around a lot. And when I got promoted, you have to leave the borough. So I went to Queens, uh, to the north northern part of Queens. So when you're a new lieutenant, you uh, we call it you bounce. So you uh, cover shifts for like uh, stationed lieutenants who are on vacation and medical leave until you find your home. So I'm still in that phase of like bouncing around and. Like, so I've worked in Queens anywhere from Long Island City up to Douglaston on, like, the north side of Queens. Okay, so, cool, yeah. And so, yeah, it's been a cool experience um, seeing Queens in a different light because I've lived in Queens for, like, a very long time, over 20 years now. But, um, but yeah, like, you know, there's very few women who are officers. I think there's, like, 10 of us out of, like, Three thousand. Oh wow, that's very low. Yeah, so very. I was like the first woman officer in yeah. North Queens, and for Asian women, there's like five of us out of eleven thousand. Wow. And yeah. I'm sure there were so many challenges. You know, being in such a toxic male masculine <laughs> environment. Yeah. Um. You know, how did you over the years like? How did you deal with those challenges of being not just a woman, but also being Asian? Like, did your Asianness bring a uniqueness to the job, right? Like, did it bring um, certain challenges as well? Because, like, I feel like for many of us Asian women, femmes, and non-binary femme-presenting people, like, you know, we have unique experiences with sexism and racism, so did that play a part in some of the challenges that you had in, yeah. in the department? So like it was challenging to get the job, period. I scored really well on the two tests that you need to get on. But by the time I went to Fire Academy, like I totally got discriminated against. And in very like insidious ways that are really illegal, like they made us cut our hair, like all the women. The men, they make them shave their heads. So for us, they were like, well, you can shave your head, but if not, you're gonna have a real, you have to have a really tight, short haircut, which is what I had. And uh, and they didn't like that I didn't shave my head. And they built an obstacle course just for me, you know, to pass. And, you, it, you know, now I have 18 years, it's something you don't see in the field ever. And, uh, they like barred us from changing separately. We had to change with the men, also illegal. There was all these things. I was really young at the time. I was oh like 24, God. so I didn't really know my rights. Ugh. And like the women who were running the women's group at the time, and now they're they're basically cowards, and they didn't want to like challenge the fire department. 
So it's like, you know, I tell the story like now and it's just like people are like appalled and it's just like how systemic it is to just not say anything. And I, I feel like it's very like Asian, even though I was like the first Asian woman, like, but that culture of just like, oh, let's not rock the boat. There's so few of us here. At the time there were 30 women firefighters out of almost 11,000 people, like a micro minority. And for the white women, they were just like, let's just, you know, be as quiet as possible and don't challenge their rules and just do whatever they say. And, um, you know, that was kind of my mentality when I got on because it was so hard. It was so hard for me. The environment was so difficult for me. And, like, I didn't have the support that a lot of, like, the men I, I was in school with had, they had a lot of family support I, and people like making their dinners and iron their clothes. I was on my own. I did everything myself. So by the time I got out uh, and to the firehouse, um, you know, I continued to not say anything. And they would say really racist, sexist things in front of me, homophobic. And this is in Academy too. Like the first time I heard like, a fire person say the n-word was in fire academy oh my god and i didn't say anything and this was like right after i went to school 2005 it was still a post 9-11 world very anti like they're very islamophobic mm -hmm. so like the n-word was in reference to like arab people oh sand n-word yeah sand and he said this in our class oh, the instructor and it's like the the way the classes are like set up, it's like you can't say anything. You're like, it's like the movie Full Metal Jacket. Like you're you're a private, like you get screamed at. If you step out of line, they smoke you, like physical punishment, push-ups. They still do that today. Push-ups, running around, carrying stuff over your head. It's like most people wouldn't wanna like do, like go through that, you know? And, uh, you know, they failed me out of academy the first time. So I do it a second time because they thought I was going to quit. And it's like, you know, as an Asian and as a woman, they just assume you're weak. So you always have to, like, prove yourself. It's very exhausting. So anyway, so by the time I went to my firehouse, uh, I had a bully there who, like, did not want to work with me, did, want, did not want me there. And I never did anything for years. And I did what I, like I was advised to do, which was like, oh, like, you know, fix it in house, go to your senior man, which is like the firefighter with the most seniority in the house. Oh, maybe he can help you. Why don't you ask the captain to switch your schedules? So you don't work with your bully. Never like file a complaint because it's like, you know, as soon as you're a woman or a person of color, like at the time entering the fire department, the white guys all tell you never file an EEO complaint. Like they tell you that like the, the my first time meeting the union delegate for all of Manhattan, uh, we like saw him when we were out of the firehouse and he came right up to me. They didn't know me, but because I'm a woman, because I'm Asian, he said, hey, my name is Dan. Nice to meet you. By the way, never file an EEO complaint. Oh Always settle it in the firehouse. And I heard that message from retired guys. I heard it, like, you know, continuously. So my bully, right? Like, I'm vegan. Big part of, like, firehouse culture is cooking and eating together. Well, I didn't eat their food. And so I brought my own food in. 
you know, I was trying to be like not problematic as possible, but I am not like I've been vegan way before the fire department. Like I am not gonna like change my diet just because I got a new job. And so like that was like an issue. And so my bully would throw my food out, you know, like when I wasn't looking, you know, especially my breakfast. Like, uh, and I, at the time I ate like really weird food. I ate like diet soy milk and like the, oh this like low carbs here. I was like, no one in the firehouse is eating this nasty health food, but me, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> they're eating like bacon and eggs. No one's eating like freaking like high low fiber cereal, like, <laughs> but, but me with stevia, like I'm like get the hell out of here, and so like you know I kept being like telling internally like you know he's doing my food, I used to ride my bike to work. He would take the air out of my bike tires. Yeah, he would do, oh and then he would God. just be like really nasty to me over little things like I didn't empty the dishwasher on time. I got screamed at, you know. And this is a grown ass adult man. Yeah, they oh they all are. <laughs> Oh my god. Like lightly grown up. Lightly grown up. Yeah, yeah. So like after three years of dealing with this BS, it was like uh, you know, um I came to work and he he was working and I was like, Oh, I don't want to work with this a hole. So let me we had extra bodies, so like there was like one firefighter was sent out to another firehouse to work. So I was like, I'll take it, I'll go. Cause I don't want to work with him. Came back to the firehouse after the shift was over. He writes on the board a, 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 a passive aggressive note of why women shouldn't be in the fire department. Oh my! Posted it God. up, Jeez. threw my stuff out, you know, did all this stuff, and I was like, "That's it. I tried everything I did to solve this internal. I'm filing a complaint." Go up to my captain. He plays stupid. Oh, why? I don't understand this and that. Ugh. You know, I was like, you know, I've been dealing with this for years. I've been asking you for help for years about this. Filing a complaint today. And guys stopped talking to me. Guys retaliate against me. I would walk in a room. They would walk out. And I'm like, you all know I've been dealing with this. Wow. Every single one of you. And it's not resolved. What the hell was I supposed to do? Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, that you were left with zero choices left. Zero choices. And then, like, so that happened. And then I was, like, the only woman working in downtown Manhattan for a long time. South of 100th Street. I was, like, the only woman. And so a woman came over here on Canal Street, the firehouse over here. And she started um, asking me for advice. And then I was like, oh, man, like, you know, all the stuff that she's like, how do I get them to stop doing this and that? And I'm like, oh, I just tolerate it. And I felt like such a like fraud. I was like, oh, she comes to my firehouse and sees how what I accept. That's embarrassing for me. And then it just made me being alone for so long and then seeing younger women come like after me. I was like, I really need to like step it up and start like fixing like this place and like start doing stuff because this is it's not acceptable. So that's kind of like how I like um, got into activism within the fire department. And like I do work around diversity uh, and I was the president of the United Women Firefighters for six years. So like part of what I did um, in that organization was we had like a year round training program for women to pass the test and for women to, um, you know, go to academy. You know, we're there to mentor them, to tell them like how to like pass things. Cause it's, you know, 
these white guys have their fathers to tell them about XYZ, about hose operations, ladder operations, and all this stuff. We don't. We don't have family. We don't have friends. So this, the organization was like, you know, we're like the mom of like, you know, all these other younger women to be like, well, this is the way. And advocacy. So like advocating, like all that stuff when I came on of being quiet and like accepting all these like structural issues, like I didn't do. So like anything that we could fix, like, you know, on a city level, bring it up to the attention of the city council or to the mayor's office of like, this is illegal, this shouldn't happen. We did like as much as we could. Um, so, you know, it's like hard. That activism actually really drained me because it was 24 seven, like, uh, my job as a firefighter already, I work 24 hours at a clip. You know, I work two 24s in a week, and many times I work overtime. So um, on top of that, like, you know, running a training, like running an organization, basically I was like uh, like an EZ of a small nonprofit. That's how, like, I ran the United Women Firefighters. It was very taxing for me. And at the time, I was studying to become a lieutenant. So, like, now that, like... I'm not like the head of the United Women Firefighters and uh, I'm already a lieutenant. I'm kind of like in the phase of my life of like relaxing because I was like so like burnt out, like doing so much because there's so few of us, so few people who are outspoken. So few because, you know, there are like a lot more women on the job. There's not that many who will like, like, you know, be outspoken and challenge the fire department because we work there and you face the consequences from that so it's like i was like they made like a article about me in the new york post like um about how i hate white men because i like made a post about white privilege on my like private facebook and they're like you know head of the women firefighters group hates white men and like (laughs) yeah great and then they they investigated me in the fire department internal our internal investigation i had to go and they took their one black attorney out and he was like challenging me. He was like, um, this was the, the, le- the level of BS. Like he was like, you know, um, I, I object to you saying white supremacy because we had uh, the, at the time the fire department uh, was in the after effects of a racial justice lawsuit. And this judge, this federal judge, uh, Judge Garifus said, FDNY is nothing but a uh, bastion of white male privilege. And he was like, that's why you really shouldn't say like that phrase because it's like, um, you know, inflammatory. And I was like, I am allowed to say white supremacy. If we're allowed to say racism, the other side of the coin is white supremacy. And my white male union lawyer and my white male union rep were on my side and it was so bizarre because <laughs> wow. usually they're like Trump people, you know, <laughs> but they're like, yeah, she was like, it's not illegal for her to say white supremacy. It's a thing, you know, people write books about it. Like, you know, but that's like the level of like censorship that the fire department tried to pursue wow. with like silencing me yeah. and like, like uh, handcuffing, like, the work we were doing because we were embarrassing them. We were the worst gender disparity in the country out of all major fire departments. It's not normal to have 30 women out of nearly 11,000 people. 
Like nationally, it's 4%. Progressive cities, which New York City should be, but we're a city full of inequities. But progressive cities like San Francisco, even Miami, they have like, and Minneapolis, they have like 13 to 18% women in those like cities. So it is possible, but New York City, there's just little pockets that are just like, a holdover of like past generations where it's completely dominated by white men. And it's so hard to dismantle that when there's so few of us. I am. I have to salute you though, for all that work you did. (laughs) Thank you. That is, I mean, I already knew about like all the work that you did, but like just hearing you like talk more in depth about it. This is why I love doing this podcast because I also get to learn more about my my friends as well but like like going through that I I can't imagine like how many days hours minutes you probably just wanted to quit this shit I, w- I would be like I can't do this anymore oh, you know? I never did I never wow. felt like I needed to quit actually it was just like praying that like I can retire earlier, <laughs> but like it, I was at a breaking point. But like even though I'm talking a lot about like my challenges, it's like very paradoxical because I have a lot of like people I consider my brothers who are like Republican right wing people who we work together for years. We've like fought fires together. We like work like sleepless nights, sleepless weekends, full moons together. Like, and where we bonded and we like respect each other for that, but we don't like agree on politics. Mm -hmm. So like, I have like a really like, you know, soft spot in my heart for my old firehouse Um, in the East Village. Like it's still a home for me. I still like, am cool with all the people there. Um, You know, despite like the difficulty of me, like, like starting off and dealing with my bully and all that stuff. It's like weird. Like the thing about like doing this job is like, it's, you know, for my time period is like 20 years to retire. Now it's like 25, but people stick with our, our jobs for that length, you know? So it's like, you know, before I would like do a job for a year, quit, you know, and then, you know, like I feel like that's very common for people but for this, it's like I've been here for 18 years. Yeah. I've known a lot of these people who I don't like for like 18, 20 years. <laughs> you really held it out. You're you're so you're just so strong. I I'm like I really have to just salute you for your strength and for doing all that work. And you know, just like when you were talking about how like the younger woman who came to you and it just like hit you that like you just need to do more. You actually really didn't have to, but like that that was like a calling that just like you felt this push right this push to do more and that just goes to say like your um, you know your character right it just goes to show your character and your and you and just like how much you truly love what you do as well and so that that to me is just just so commendable and i you know thank you for being such a wonderful representation too of of us of asian women and femmes (laughs) and like just like showing that like we are strong and we are not just like pigeonholed in these very stereotypical you know like 
jobs. Like, yeah, jobs. like the both of us were doing. Or yeah, atypical or, stuff. Right, exactly. You know? Or typecasted as like you know the weak, submissive Asian woman yeah. or femme, right? And so like when I think about like strength and i think of i know you probably get this a lot but i know it's a cliche but i do think about you when i think about str our strength because you know you. like I, I i think about like a lot of my different friends in terms of strength like not just like physical strength like i mean like just you know the the mental strength, strength. yeah mental yeah. strength the strength to like survive in an industry or in an environment that is very hostile towards you and you know as uh, obviously as an asian non-binary femme presenting person like i also have that in my industry right i have a lot of toxic masculinity a lot of white male photographers who are very aggressive very you know like n like terrible people <laughs> just like just really terrible people mm -hmm. that like i have to deal with too and like and and, and the racism and the sexism like that just never never you know never goes away and i've dealt with it for my whole life as well so you know just like knowing though that we're not alone and that we are in the struggle together and that as Asian women and femmes and non-binary non folks, like it's important for us to really work together and be, and you know, really like strengthen numbers, right? Like really just like help each other, uplift each other, support each other. This is why I support my like Asian femme women friends so much because like this is what we need to do for each other, yeah. right? In, in order to get us like, the strength, like that power and that strength to fight this like very white male, like society that we live in, um, very male dominated, you know, we need to have strength in numbers, right? So this is a good pivot now um, for me to ask you about, you know, angry women, angry Asian, Asian women. women X, right? Um, so I, I know you birthed this during um, the pandemic, during all the anti-Asian, uh, violence that was happening and you know I just want to get a little more backstory about why you were inspired to start this um sure. you know like 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 I know you've shared um certain stories about being attacked before yeah. and what the why you felt like this was your calling to help other Asian femmes protect themselves during this very very scary time I mean we're still living in it right yeah. we're still living in it um, yeah people so yeah. get attacked all the time it's just not in the news because they didn't die but like we get messages on our instagram all the time from people who've been assaulted still um it's like anti-asian racism has always been in this country the day we like our ancestors like set foot in this country it, and it won't go away unfortunately and uh, and misogyny you know it's always ever present for us um back to what i was saying about like a perception of us being weak and submissive and uh, you know like people think we're easy targets and it was exacerbated after um trump and the pandemic so i got inspired because about 10 years ago i was walking home in jackson heights from the train and this guy was hiding in this was at night he was hiding behind some bushes or something and i walked past him i didn't know there was a guy there he pulled my bag that i was carrying towards him and immediately started strangling me 
And I was just like, it took me like two seconds to even realize what the hell was going on. Cause like he pulled my bag. I was like, oh, was this my friend? And I was like, who's this? And he just started like attacking me. And I was like, what's going on? But I took a self-defense class and like one of the like first things they tell you is to scream. So I fought with him as best as I could. And then as when I like got away, like from him strangling me, I started screaming no really loud. And he looked at me, freaked out and ran away. And I ran after him <laughs> and I lost him on Roosevelt. It's like, you know, busy on Roosevelt Avenue. And uh, this cop van was like driving by and I like frantically waved my hands. They did the world's slowest U-turn to get me. And then uh, they were, you know, they drove around looking for this guy. I'm like, it's a short Hispanic guy. Like there's like a thousand like people that look like him like on this block like mm. i'm like i don't know you know and uh they drove me home and they told me that you know i just moved to the neighborhood but not from from elmhurst so not from far away and there these white cops were telling me a dangerous neighborhood jackson heights is i was like thanks and i'll, and I'll tell you they only helped me because i showed them my badge oh. like and i said i'm a member i'm a member of service mm -hmm. i really do wonder if i were like a regular person or if I was a immigrant who didn't speak English, if they would do, if they would drive me home. No, they probably would not. Probably not. <laughs> uh, you know, I do, I'm very aware I have like this pr privilege when dealing with the police. Um, and but despite that privilege, you know, I, I lived across the hall from my city council member, friends who are fire marshals, friends who are attorneys, and they encouraged me to file a report and the police station completely stonewalled me from doing it, wow. knowing that I'm a firefighter. I brought two firefighters with me to file the report, and they were just wasted my time. All these people calling the precinct. They could only, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if folks know about uh, police, like filing reports of the police, how they stonewall it for political reasons. But uh, Schoolcraft, like Adrian Schoolcraft was a police officer who was an activist. He recorded every day he went to work and he exposed that like politically they want to keep crime numbers down by like, you know, like like stonewalling people from filing reports so that it looks good for the mayor or. Yeah. So like they did that ish with me and they would only uh, file it under forcible touching. And I was like, he didn't like try to sexually like uh, touch, like molest me. He he freaking choked me yeah, out. Yeah, like, he was trying to kill you. Yeah, he was trying to rape me. Yeah, you know, I think you know, but I like wasn't an easy target. You know, he thought I was, but I'm a firefighter, so I like fought his ass. And so like I had a really good outcome. Like I wasn't physically harmed by the guy. And I still was psychologically damaged by that. Oh, I mean, that is so damaging to no matter what, even if you were physically, you know, okay, it's the psychological damage that can be lasting. Yeah. Right. So, like, I felt too scared to leave my apartment. My friend mm -hmm. had to come over, and, like, you know, I was just like so fearful living by myself and like in a new neighborhood. I thought it was a nicer neighborhood than where I was before. And I never got attacked like that before. 
And so, you know, fast forward to the spa shootings in Atlanta was when I was like, well, I need to do something about this. And so I started doing a mailing for my personal Instagram account. And I did like a couple of hundred on my own. And it like kind of fizzled out towards the end of the year. And then Michelle Goh dies. Mm. Christina Unali dies. That was One month, you know, one mm. month, you know, between each other. So when Michelle died, um, from my knowledge of working in the fire department, I made a video about how to, you know, all the tricks from in the subway, like, you know, third rail, how to shut the power off, like all this stuff that we kn know from our training, working on the trains. And um, I just put it out there. I was like, you know, people just don't know this stuff. And, um, or just like, you know, options for like, if this happens to you, this is how you can survive. So I did that and then Christina died. And I just was like, let me just, I have some leftover stuff from last year. Let me just put it on my account. And it just went like I, uh, viral and it was like too much for me to handle. I had to like cut it off at 500. I had to like logistically figure out how to like do this. And like people pulled together, people like donated a ton of money. Uh, people came and helped pack packages. And we're like, uh, like over 3000 packages now. That's amazing. Yeah, like 3500. Yeah, thirty five hundred. Like mostly incredible. through the mail. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, so like our our kits, they have a coupon, a whistle, an alarm. This is all based on my experiences of getting attacked, like how I designed it, and uh, self care stuff. We have um, stress tea, calm strips, which is like a huge like sponsor for us. They like give you know they gave us calm strips for like people who are like anxious. It helps you like channel your anxiety. Um, you know, I was just an, an Asian candy and like a resource sheet. So um, that's what goes in our kits. Um, yeah. So if folks want one, Angry Asian Women, W-O-M-X-N on Instagram, you can request one if you're um, API woman, API femme, gender expansive API. Uh, it's $10 for people who live outside of New York City and it's free for us New Yorkers. And we're looking to like do more, you know, do more stuff. We're going to do a solidarity mailing in June for BIPOC trans women. Awesome. Yeah, Very because cool. of all the anti-trans and anti-drag uh, oh, legislation yeah. that's like sweeping the country. Ugh. So we wanted to like the people that would be most affected by it are black trans women and and uh, trans women of color. Yeah. So we just wanted to like do some solidarity because you know we know how to like do these like self-defense kits you know yeah that that's so incredible and so necessary in our time because like what you did i think for a lot of us here in the community was you know just give like some kind of tangible feeling of okay like i i don't want to completely stop my life i can't i can't just like lock myself home at home all day, all night. That yeah. that'll drive you crazy, you know. We are. But you gotta go to work. You gotta, you gotta go to go school. To you gotta, you gotta, gotta get groceries. Go, yeah, you gotta, you gotta, gotta do go laundry. Like, so, but like what you did was like at least offer people some kind of you know assurance or some kind of 
of of feeling like okay i can at least learn how to protect myself because what what was happening during this time was not only were you mailing out all these like self-defense kits like other activists um we're teaching like self-defense classes, yeah. right? And so like in conjunction, you know, that that created this wave of a so many Asian femmes and women were not only getting your self-defense kits, but also taking self-defense classes and learning how to use the, the items that you were sending. Yeah. And so it like, when you look at like how we all did something and how it all came together, right? Like you focused on these self-defense kits and like others focused on like teaching people how to defend themselves in these classes and learning how to use the kits and like just being together in like a room together too. I mean, that was so powerful to me. You know, I went to a bunch of my other friends like self-defense classes that like I have a friend who's a Muay Thai fighter, right? And I was going to her classes to document Jess. Yeah, Jess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I wanted Jess on this podcast as well soon. <laughs> but, um, you know, Jess, like, you know, good friend of mine, like I was following her around to some of these classes that she was teaching. And the the feeling that that you get being in that space with all these other Asian women and femmes just like, you know, screaming and learning how to like fight back. And like that was like so powerful. Right. But then like also like it. It was it was so scary during this time. Like this was a very very scary time and I don't also like I also don't fault people for like feeling like they couldn't leave their apartment. And I just want to name that because like as much as like we were like yes, like we are we're going to we're going to fight, we're going to like take these classes where sometimes like when you are attacked from behind or not expecting it it's hard to really react like because i've been attacked and you know i freeze like you yeah. freeze so easily and i just want to name like that it was really this time was yeah. very difficult especially when you're surprised it's especially like, when you're surprised you're like, what's happening right that's what happened to me too it yeah took me like a minute to be or right a few seconds to be like what's going but on but then those few in those few seconds like your life could be gone that that's that's how that's how quick it could be like if he had a gun or a knife like you could be dead yeah, right look what happened in allen texas exactly exactly yeah, so like kids. i know it's so, so sad but like during this time um i was i was uh it was so stressful for me because i i had some friends that were so afraid to leave the house this is right after christina yuna lee was murdered and I had friends that were so afraid to leave their house. And I remember talking to one of my friends. We did like a Zoom call um, and she was just expressing like how how hard it was for her to even think about leaving her apartment. Like she couldn't even she had she was getting like food delivered to yeah. her and that was it. Like she wasn't going out at all. She wasn't seeing anybody. And the only way she could connect was like Zoom or like the you know, on on chat or whatever. And so I remember um this th this friend of mine going through this tough time and an Asian man 
this other Asian man who was my friend, not anymore, but this other Asian man I was talking to about it after and explaining like how scary it is for a lot of us right now. And his response was, I mean, I have never, I have never been so upset. Like I can't, this was like the worst blowout of like a friendship I had ever. He started saying like, oh, you know, fuck that. You just got to fight back. And I'm like, well okay you you know what about all those elderly asian women who are like in their 60s 70s and they were just attacked like randomly from behind how are they gonna fight back you know like you can't just be like oh no fuck you know fuck that fuck being scared you just gotta fight back i'm like you're dismissing everyone's fear and anxieties right now this is not okay and then he starts going into like oh you're all just making a big deal out of this is not that it's not that bad you know Back in 2008, I would get, like, punched in the face just walking down the street in New York. I'm like, why are we even talking about 2008? This is right now. Like, you know. And, and like, it wasn't acceptable for that to happen either. Yeah. But that's why it's so important to talk about intersectionality when we talk about most issues. Because he's not afraid because he's not getting killed. It's women that are getting killed. It's women that are getting killed. And elderly people. And elderly. But the majority (laughs) of the people who've been killed for anti-Asian violence in New York City have been women. Women. Exactly. And so like, and just like, just like. It's not young, like 30s, 20s, 30s Asian men. It's not. And they shouldn't be dominating this discussion, honestly, in in our community. They should not. Yeah. They shouldn't because it doesn't affect This is a note for all Asian men right now. You should not be done. <laughs> this, is your, this is your, uh, this is your, you know, like, this is your warning. They're not listening to this. <laughs> They're not listening to this. <laughs> Darn it. Someone tell them. I know. Someone right? listening, tell them. I was so frustrated, though. It was like the no, worst a, that's blowout. I like, yeah, I wouldn't screaming. be friends with him any either. Yeah, I started screaming at him. I'm like, I'm done. Bye. I never want to talk to you again. Like, you're, yeah, and like, F I'm you. Not, F, yeah, fuck you. Basically, like, I was just like, nope, never going to be friends with you ever again this is yeah. very telling like and it, and it's and like, i'm telling everybody what you said to me bitch exactly <laughs> I have. so they can like uh not be friends with you either exactly i have told other people Good. you know and so like so th- this time was also just like it was also very like um like telling of who were our real allies too you know yeah <laughs> and it's sad that asian men you would think because they are also asasian that they would have our backs and they they're still misogynist there's so there, there's so they're much misogyny even within our own race right like like and especially in certain asian cultures the misogyny is runs very deep we very, get very deep. so much hate from men that we don't include men in our programming. It's such and bullshit. our kids, <laughs> and like um, especially because when we did the uh, remembrance for Christina Unilee, yeah. and it was only women, femmes, and you know, uh, gender expansive folks. People were pissed because we were like the only group doing anything around that time. But I'm like, well, you do something then. Yeah. Like you do. Like I don't have to do everything. This is what I do, and I'm very transparent about what I do. I do for my community, and this is my community, and we are the most affected by it. And guess what? If we're like holding each other, crying, we don't want you there to watch us. (laughs) Exactly. And and guess what? When we're, we're talking, when we have like our community conversation like a piece of our events 
we're talking about Asian men. Yeah. And we don't want you there. Yeah. Because we're talking about how you oppress us. And people want the freedom to do that without their oppressors looking at them. Exactly. You know, exactly. we need our own spaces. It's so important. There's so few spaces for us. So few. And that we're a tiny group to, and we're carving out this little space for us and people are still not okay, like, like it, not cool with that. People aren't cool that we don't, like, uh, serve other than APIs too. And I'm just like, listen, we're like, f like five people. Like, give us a break. <laughs> I th before it was just me. Like, but I'm like, give also, me a break. You are also serving black trans folks too, though. Well, yeah, we're gonna do that next month. Yeah. But like people before, during the, the height, yeah. we're like, when I would post, oh, I, I would I post see. free for Asian women, Asian women, and people were like, well, what about other people, women of color? I'm uh -huh. like, no. This isn't about you. This yeah. is about the rise of anti-Asian violence. Yes, exactly. Like, not to say that their oppression or their fears are not warranted, right? Absolutely, but, but I can was, only do so much. Yeah, you can only can, do so much too, yeah. You know, like, like we can only, like, we have to draw boundaries. I'm yes. not a limitless, like, um, resource. resource. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, and I was telling people who were on the comments, I'm like, if you want to do something for women of color in New York City, I will teach you how to do it, but yeah. I am not raising money and doing that. Because yeah. I'll be inundated. I'm yeah. already inundated. Yeah, yeah, You know, I'm like, I'll teach you, but like, no, you don't want to do the work. You want me to do the work? Yeah, no, no like, that's like so much labor on you that like, if you don't have capacity, you don't have capacity. We only yeah. have capacity for certain things too. And like, but the thing is, is that but yeah. people don't like when Asian women draw boundaries. Draw boundaries, yeah. Because they're like, oh, screw your boundaries. You're like, you know, I'm going to step right over them Ugh. because who cares about your capacity? You're supposed to do everything. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it kills you. And that's, it kills that's you. like so ingrained in our culture as Asian like women and femmes exactly. is that like, cause we are like uh, historically Asian women do everything. Exactly. We are expected to do everything. Exactly. And that's what they expect. <laughs> yeah. And when you have someone like me being like, no, then I'm a bitch. Yeah. But screw that. I don't really care. But saying no is really powerful. First mm -hmm. of all, I've also been learning how to say no. And it's really difficult like to unlearn all the years of like having to say yes to everything. Yeah. Right. And so like learning how to say no can be very powerful, drawing those boundaries. And if people are are like have issues with your boundaries that's their problem absolutely. not yours right absolutely. no that's not your problem to deal with that's their problem to deal with yeah <laughs> you know but yeah like this was the, this whole time like like just de like learn learning a lot right about like who are our real allies who do we want to trust you know like this was this was very, very telling for a lot of Asian women. Like this was a very like strifling time for us. But like I think we learned so much from it. And like we learned how to really, you know, fine tune like the work that we were doing and the people that we wanted to be involved with. You know, like a lot of a lot of folks, like especially the Asian men, like I just felt like all they did during this time was just scream. <laughs> at the top of their lungs. All they wanted to do was just scream, 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 scream. But like they weren't actually doing any actual organizing. Yeah. Or they weren't actually like, you know, bringing community together. Or having that analysis. Right. Or, yeah, zero know? analysis. Yeah. Zero analysis with anything. But, yeah. like, just, like, I remember the event that you did, like, last year, that healing event. I yeah. mean, that is, that 
that event was just so beautiful. Like, just like people, all these Asian women, femmes, just like being in a space together. It was very healing. Like, Thank like you. this is the nurturing side of Asian women and femmes that I feel is actually more productive than this like very toxic mask like i just want to scream and make noise and yeah. be in the headlines i got punched in 2008 <laughs> if i can take it you can too the hell like what the hell yeah seriously <laughs> like it was it was so it was so like like hurtful for me to like have to like be like I can't talk to you anymore. Like, yeah. you know, like I just, well, I'm better off. I'm better off. I'm yeah. way better off. But like, I mean, what? It, if, it's still like painful. It I stings. understand. It's I've been painful. through it many times. Yeah, yeah, I understand. It's so painful. And like, and I want like us to be able to talk about these things more often within the Asian community because just because we're all Asian doesn't mean we all agree. Doesn't mean like we're, we're all on the same page, right? Yeah. I'm learning that too. I'm like, oh, I do not like have to do anything for you just because you're Asian or just because like you're Vietnamese, like mm. I've been burned by Vietnamese folks too. And like, <laughs> you know, and Aww. I'm like, oh, I always wanna like be there to like help people in my community. But like, also I'm learning like, just because you are Asian or Vietnamese or whatever, like doesn't mean that you're a good person as well. Cause this- Andrew Yang. Yeah. <laughs> hundred percent you know and this ex-friend of mine he was vietnamese you yeah. know and it's like that that's why it hurt so much because i thought of him as like kind of like like a viet brother to me right. but like yeah i mean just because they are asian doesn't mean that they're doing good work either yeah and so that's something i've learned a lot in the last few years of like a lot like being involved in a lot of like asian organizing it is that like it's a microcosm it's of the a larger microcosm, world yeah. yeah there's problematic organizations of all stripes all races totally, totally you know you look at a trump rally you see all races behind yeah <laughs> i mean it's mostly white but like yeah. you know you got all you know there's problematic these problematic issues in a lot of communities but it's most important for me anyway like with my activism like i want to do stuff so like you know um like there are like like lines that people shouldn't cross like racism sexism and things like that but we might not have to agree 100 percent if we're trying to do something together work in coalition together um but um but yeah it's a struggle because it's like you know um of figuring that out of who to work with it's it's a t it's a lot of hard work it's, a, know, lot it's a lot of personalities work. yeah a lot of personalities clashing too yeah and so like in this, so this is a good pivot now towards, um, you know, talking about like this is this is very hard work. I mean, I know both of us have been burnt out uh, many, many times, have struggled, you know, to like um, find the balance between work and our activism and social life because we need that, too. You know, we need we need like the our friends. We need to be able to, you know, relax and and just like like take have time joy. for ourselves yeah. to have joy too right so like what are some good self-care practices that you've adopted and that you would recommend to, to folks yeah so like um with me right now is uh, little carla she's Yay. my <laughs> carla is a little studio pup <laughs> <laughs> she's my constant companion yes so like uh, me and carla we go outdoors a lot we go on hikes a lot 
together. Um, later on, we're going to go to the Rockaways to walk on the beach before Memorial Day Aww. with a friend. And um, so, like, uh, being outdoors, foraging, um, that, like, uh, being in nature, like, uh, like nourishes me. Gardening, uh, that's, like, the kind of stuff I like to do is just to be, because it's so different than being the grind of New York City, where there's, like, nothing here. <laughs> there's, like, very little nature here. So, like, you know, that's what, like, I love doing, you know, yeah. um, to relax. So, yeah. I think we all need, like, those self-care, you know, practices. I also like going out to nature. That's also very healing. Yeah. I think just, like, going out with friends and having, yeah. like, a meal is always very soothing for me. Yeah, for it sure. It always helps a lot. I mean having just like a night to myself doing absolutely nothing helps too just like lounging and snacking and watching your favorite show or whatever or doing spa days like i kind of like spa days yeah sometimes. those are good too. i i never did spas before but um a friend of mine who's a vietnamese woman as well um really got me into it <laughs> Yeah, those Korean spas are great. Dude, those Korean yeah. spas are great. You know, highly recommend Korean spa. Like, it really does help relieve some of the tension. And because yeah. yeah, this work can burn you out very quickly, very easily. And I've I've definitely been burnt out. And you know, it's like this month. Oh my god, this month is always just the craziest month. But like. You know, I know that after the craziness of May and like June, the summer too, but like, <laughs> but like, you know, at, between all these really busy uh, times, like, I need to also find time for myself and, and figure out, like, you know, like, I just got to make time to, to do it for myself too, because yeah. it's a lot. This is a lot. Yeah. And, and I do find joy in my activism because yeah. I get to connect to people yes. like me yes. and we have the same struggles, um, you know, or similar struggles and we're here to support one another. And that's very nourishing to yes. build community as well. For you sure. Know? Yeah, I, I also agree with that. Like, my activism is more than just, like, going to protest and documenting the protest, too. Like, my activism is a lot of the... You know what I've been thinking a lot about lately is, like, that soft care that I put into my work that people don't see because, like, they a lot of people only see, like, the end result, right? They, they just look at my photography and they just, like, see that as the result. But honestly, like the 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 soft care I do that that you know all the connections with the people and taking time you know to to learn about someone it, that's the work that I actually love more I actually like I, for me it's like yes like I care about my photography and I want like my pictures to be impactful and and good as well but like for me it's like that process of getting to that like the process of like connecting with my community and using my photography as a way to connect with my community that's what actually gives me more joy like I don't care about like having my photography published by mainstream media like that's not actually I've been thinking a lot about that too and like wondering like what what drives my you know what drives me as a photographer and what do I 
see as success, right? What is my definition of success? And I've been reflecting on that. And I'm like, well, for a lot of photographers, their definition of success is, you know, getting published by New York Times or by Time Magazine or right. whatever, you know? And, and it's not like I wouldn't want those things necessarily, but I also feel like that's not really what I aim to do with my work. I think my work has always been more about like just like really learning about people's stories so this is why i love doing this podcast too because even though i've known you for years now i've learned something new about you during this hour likewise right and like <laughs> yeah and just learning like just continually learning um more things about each other you know because we had so like we had lot so many lot different lives before yeah. we knew each other yeah and and we like, don't talk about it because like we don't talk about it yeah. yeah and so but I want to learn about those things because it's what made you who you are today. And it's what made me who I am today. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, that's why this, this podcast has been so great for me to just like learn more about people. And, and so like, when I think about my work, I don't think of it as like, I'm just making photos. Like my work is way more than just making photos. Right. Um, but yeah, this was, this was, a really, really wonderful hour of talking to you, by the way. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you agreed to do this. I just want to wrap up really quick with, you know, just plug us what you're doing next. Like, what's coming up? I know you mentioned in June you're going to be mailing out um, some kits to black trans Yeah, folks so and... we need to raise money for that. So okay, yeah, let's keep... plug it. Let's plug it. Yeah, following um, Angry Asian Women on Instagram, and yeah, see our next posts um, of like that uh, upcoming campaign. And uh, for the month of May, we're doing a writing series, um, API Enough, about our relationship to our Asian Pacific Islander uh, identities. You know, um, a lot of us struggle with, a lot of us like Asian Pacific Islander Americans struggle with um, our identities as Asians and as Americans. So it's really about um, connecting folks. Like a lot of us might feel isolated or um, not 100% ourselves, like in our struggle finding our identities. So the aim of the project is just to kind of like, you know, tell people you're not alone in, in feeling that way and to connect each other. Um, and that's super with stories. important. Yeah. yeah, so important. And so, just to spell it out for people, it's angry Asian and then women, but with an X. Yeah, W O M X N. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's angry Asian women with an X. W O M X N. Yeah. yeah. And if uh, any folks in the community ever get assaulted, like we have a mailing open now, but I'm not sure it'll be open by the time this episode drops, but. If you've been assaulted and you need a kit, you could always like write a DM or write me an email and I'll send you one. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for everything that you do for us, for the community. Thank you so much for being here. This was <laughs> such a wonderful conversation, such a necessary conversation, I think, especially for AAPI Heritage Month. Um, thank you again so much. And thank you everyone for tuning in and listening to Activist NYC, the podcast presented by Canal Street Radio, recorded at Canal Street Market. Be sure to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Activist NYC. Tune in next time.